Hi, and welcome from the Erickson family. I've got some important news to share with you all. I found out a couple days ago that I was accepted into medical school at the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine at Seton Hall University, all the way over in New Jersey. I'm excited for this new chapter of my life, and I just want to thank all of you for the prayers and support that you've been giving me over the past several years as I've been working on this for a long time. So I just want to thank everyone, and um, you can continue praying for me as I move forward into this. Um, I really appreciate all of that. Um, we're going to be reading as a family from Psalm 90. All right, Psalm 90. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us with love in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Well, this morning, uh, we're looking at Psalm 90. You know, Psalm 90 is an amazing psalm in the fact that it deals with Moses. It deals with a prayer of Moses, a song of Moses. Many of us may not realize how uh, fascinating this is. And the time frame in, in which uh, the culture and the circumstances involved in Moses' life as we look at Moses' life, it breathes a breath of fresh air into this psalm. It helps us to look behind it and to understand the importance of it as we look for direction in our own life. Why Psalm 90 and not Psalm 91? Psalm 91 is beautiful. I mean, we hear about being in the shelter of the Almighty and the shadow of, of uh, being in his shadow and and it has so much imagery about being under the watch care of God. Well, in order for that psalm to mean what it means and for us to find great significance in it, we first have to understand what God has given us in Psalm 90. Psalm 91 is that much more important because of what Psalm 90 shares with us and 
So I pray that this morning as we look into uh, this scripture, that off the pages will leap God's heart and we will hear his direction and we will learn from him. This is the oldest psalm in this, out of all the psalms. And it focuses on God's greatness and it reveals our human frailty, our, our weaknesses. So from God's greatness to our weaknesses and our need for the Lord to provide his abundant grace in our life. In order for our life to even mean anything, we see that we need to understand how great God is. This is the point that I want us to see in this psalm, and that is this. Moses' prayer is for believers, it's for us, to be taught to not waste their day, to waste our time, our lives, in the light of God's eternal and sovereign plan. Moses' prayer is for us believers, to, to, for us to be taught so that way we don't waste the days that God has given us in light of his eternal plan. And especially in the circumstances we find ourselves and many, uh, many of us, we might be thinking that our, this is just futile. The time in which we live, it, it, it's not amounting uh, to anything worthwhile. Um, we may be struggling. We are seeing in many ways the futility of life and how fragile we truly are. You know, uh, in that we might see someone become a famous doctor who find a way to extend people's lives in, in dealing with cancer only for themselves to succumb to some other disease. We might see people who uh, can conquer the whole world by the time that they're 30, i.e. Alexander the Great, only to die early in life. We might see people, uh, uh, you know, who amass this huge fortune only to die young, never getting a chance to enjoy the, the full depth and breadth of their wealth, their possessions, their things. In that, we are overwhelmed and we see the, the fact that life is futile. It's what it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, the wise preacher in all of his searching found that all life is just futile. But here's the thing, the great Bernard Shaw keenly observed when he said this, he said, the statistics of death are quite impressive. One out of one die. You're like, well, that's impressive. <laughs> well, yeah, basically, we all die. Death is eternal. We are, it's amazing the fact that we know that, we understand that, that all people will die, but yet it's something we're uncomfortable talking about. When we think about our life, we don't really honestly want to think about life and death. We don't want to think about eternity and death. Most of the time, we're running this rat, this rat race called life, spinning our wheels, trying to amass things, get work done, doing work. And we never once stop to think about how it fits 
in all of eternity. We can't just brush this idea of eternality aside. Because everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to face eternity. Either they're going to face eternity with God or they're going to face eternity without God. And, and that's what I want us to see. We just can't brush it aside. This is where we find Moses. In the circumstances involving Moses' life, many of you know, know the life of Moses. I mean, think about it. He raised as an Egyptian in the Egyptian house, uh, gone to college in Egypt, is exiled out of Egypt when after he kills an Egyptian, after he's found out to be a Hebrew, he runs off into the desert. He lives and he gets married. He lives with his father-in-law Jethro for, for many years in the desert. He learns about our Heavenly Father. He learns about the eternality of God. He learns that God is the great I Am, the Lord of Lords. He learns all of that. He goes back and he does the work of God. God uses Moses to lead Israel out. And of course, we know that Israel constantly is focused on the things in front of them, whether it be the army coming up behind or the Red Sea right in front of them. All they can see is the mountains, the desert. All they can think about is the food that they used to have, which is amazing because they really didn't have that much food while they were slaves in Egypt. But yet they remember all the different foods in Egypt, doesn't mean that they got to enjoy them, but yet they thought about it. And isn't that amazing if we think about it in our own context, how many of us think about the freedoms and the things that we enjoy per se, but we actually aren't involved in it. This is where Moses is as he's writing this psalm, as he's praying for, uh, praying to the Lord. He's sitting here and he's surrounded by people who are always constantly focused on what they don't see or what they can't see. They're focused on the desert. They're focused on food, water, on the here and now. So much so that they miss what they are not seeing. They miss the fact that who God is and what God has done. They don't stop to think about all what it took to take those millions of people out of slavery and to take the wealth of Egypt and to bring them to the promised land. And they rebel against God time and time again. So much so that God says, you're going to run around the desert for 40 years. And during that time, millions of people are going to die. No one over the age of 20 will survive. They're all going to die. The whole next generation will be even Moses died. So we have Moses surrounded by death. He's surrounded by death every day. He saw people whom he knew dying. He saw people who he worked with die. Moses, being a man of God, was driven to worship and prayer. And the result is Psalm 90. And as we look at that, I want to look at some main points and the things that we can see that are in this psalm. And then in conclusion, what can we learn from this psalm? One of the main points in this, number one, and we see it in verses one through two, when Moses says, Lord, you have been, you have been our dwelling place 
in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or even you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Moses emphasized this, point one. Moses Moses was emphasizing the eternal nature of God, that God is eternal. And because of that eternalness, we see that a relationship with the eternal God gives life true meaning and value. As he began to see all that was going on around him during this journey to the promised land, during all this time of wandering in the desert, all this death and all this stuff going on around him, he saw that life only has meaning and value if we realize who God is. He's eternal. He is so far above the nature of us. We, if we have a relationship, and as Moses realizes as, he's, as he pens this psalm, he realizes the importance of knowing and realizing that God is eternal. In and of itself, the truth can be rather unsettling to think about that God has always existed. He has no beginning and no end. But also at the same time, it's amazing. It's something to be awestruck at. But Moses makes it clear that it is altogether possible that we, the finite creatures that we are, can have this amazing relationship with this infinite you notice in verse 1, the, the use of the personal pronoun, our. That's important. Down in verse 9, he uses it again, our. And in verse 17, he says that again, our. The personal pronoun, our, occurs in relation to God in these verses. The eternal God is our God. He is our dwelling place. We live in him through Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. We dwell with God. Because of Christ dying on the cross for our sin, Christ purchased us by his blood. Because of that, he took that which was finite in, in us, and he adopted us, in, bought us out of slavery, and adopted us into his family, into now a family that is surrounded in around God's eternal existence. There's nothing that can give us more meaning in life than to know that we dwell with the God that is. Now, as we continue in verses 3 through 6, we see Moses, the second point is this, Moses speaks to the fragile nature of humanity. He speaks very bluntly, and he says basically that humanity is fragile. Verse 5 says, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. Basically, he watched people be swept away in death daily. In verse 5, he continues to say, they are like the new grass of the morning. Life is futile when it's apart from God because we are fragile. Moses describes our helplessness in the in the face of death as being swept away by the flashing flood that suddenly bursts upon us and takes everything in its path. We are like the grass of the field, it says, which sprouts in the morning and looks promising, but as the day goes on, the blaring, blistering desert heat just hits us and it just wilts and destroys us. That's what our life is like. 
One day we burst on the scene with lots of promise and, and before you know it, the blistering heat of this world puts us back into the ground where God created us. How soon the promise of youth is gone and life just begins to fade away. It may be uncomfortable to think about, but it's true. Think how short and uncertain and feeble life truly is. As we turn to point three, I want you to see Moses puts these facts into stark contrast. God is eternal. Man is futile. Man is, is fragile. We are not infinite. We, we are so fragile. But now he takes, in point three, he kind of marries those two points together. And he shares in verses seven and eight that this, that Moses emphasizes humanity's sinful nature and his shortcomings before a perfect God. So he says, okay, so we see that we're extremely fragile and sinful and God is eternal. And he puts them together and shows and he emphasizes what our life is like before a perfect God. We are, he says in, in verses seven, eight, he says, we are consumed by God's anger and terrified by God's indignation. You have set our iniquities, our hidden sins ever before you. Our secret sins are, in, are exposed by God's presence. God's wrath on our sin makes life futile when it's apart from God. This is a, God has given Moses this amazing example. Right before Moses' eyes, there's this great example of what, how fragile we are compared to who God is. And we see that in Numbers when we see the life of Moses. People were dying all around him. For basically, if we did the math, it's somewhere close to 1.2 million people uh, were going to die in a period of 40 years. Now, if you do that math, there's 30,000. So 1.2 million people in 40 years are going to die, roughly, give or take. Uh, <laughs> a couple of thousand here or there. And basically, 30,000 people were dying every single year. That's, by the way, about 82 per day. Now, we know it didn't happen that way because on some days, thousands of people were killed because of their rebellion and sin, if you look back through numbers. But Moses was seeing the futility and the fragile nature of, of people before this immense and amazing it's like this wave crashing down on Moses. He is making the point that death is the result of God's wrath on our sin. People say that death is just a natural part of life cycle and all living things die. So we should just accept it as normal. But that's a humanistic lie that minimizes the horrific points of death and disregards the clear fact that death is because of God's wrath and because of our sin. It's a very short-sighted thing, that fact that life and death is just normal. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you realize that death is not normal. There was no death before sin. After sin, death entered the world. And because of Adam's and Eve's sin, because of one man's sin, all of sin, it tells us in Romans 3. The reality of death ought to make people face the reality of their sin. And the fact that they, are, they will shortly stand before a holy God. 
And so we have Moses weighing all of this in the balance as he's, as he's worshiping God and he's realizing who God is and he's realizing how great God is. If you struggle on how good and loving God really is and, and you struggle with God's wrath and the fact that God is holy and he is just and because of him being just, he deserves to judge us rightly and if he judges us rightly, we are all condemned. That also brings out the fact of how blessed we are when we are dwelling with God because of the precious gift that Christ Jesus gave us on the cross. Moses' point is this, that the fact of death, which we see all around us, remember, everyone's going to die. One out of one dies. So rightly observed, so by George Bernard Shaw, should, this should make us aware that the wrath of this eternal God is upon the sinful human race. If we do not truly know this eternal God as, as our personal dwelling place, life is just futile. It puts that much more emphasis on the fact that we need a Savior. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the acceptable sacrifice. He is worthy to pay and to take the wrath of God upon himself. All those who would repent and believe and put their trust in Christ should be saved and will be saved. It makes, and as, as, as Moses is going through this time of worship and revelation about God and about man and about our salvation, he is worshiping God and worshiping him in the entirety of God's nature. Point four, we see that Moses stresses how short life is for people in comparison to God's eternal nature. Verses 9 through 12. Moses says, Our days may come 70 years, or 80 if our strength endures, right? If, if we have strength, it may be 80. Uh, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, or for they quickly pass and will fly away. There's some interesting things. And, and Moses is emphasizing in verse 12, when he says, number our days, this is of great importance. While this is a, a poetic psalm, may it, this, may not, this is not literally meaning that we count, you know, this is day 4,793 of Pastor Kyle's life. That's not what it's saying, but it does focus on the need to live every day with maximum impact in mind. Because we're faced with an eternal God, we're faced with short days of our lives. And one day we will stand before this holy God. We need to look, how are we going to maximize our day? This is exactly what Paul was getting at when he writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 through 16. He says this, be, be very careful then how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The point was this, is that, that we need to be careful how we live because we aren't guaranteed that many days compared to eternity, compared to a holy and amazing and immense God. We are nothing. We are, our life is fragile. 
We need to maximize in our mind how can we maximize the life that God has given us. God calls us to use every moment of every day to honor him. Moses finishes this section in verses 13 through 17 by praying for God's grace upon God's people, helping them, praying that they would realize and understand to number their days. Without God, our work amounts to nothing. It's futile. God's blessing upon our life and work gives life and meaning and value. When we live our life focusing on God's true nature, we realize and we live and we dwell with God, our life has greater meaning, has eternal meaning, has eternal blessings. The blessings that the world seek are, are fickle. Amazing, you think about the blessings that people seek after they, they, they work their whole life for, uh, to pay off a house, uh, to be able to live with no bills or or to live with pleasure. But it never lasts. I can remember uh, working really hard to earn, to earn a gun when I was 10, and I worked all these years, and now the gun's gone. Uh, you know, I worked, uh, I worked many, many months in Alaska doing a paper route in that cold, wet weather, delivering papers so I could buy my first gun. And now that gun... I don't even know where it is. Somebody stole it. But that's the way Satan works. He wants us to pursue this futile life and things that we think that are blessings only for it to be ripped away and stolen from our life. Because those things are fickle. They don't mean anything when we realize that God and who God is and, and we think of things from an eternal perspective. We need to realize what Moses is praying for on behalf of his people, that they would be blessed by the work of their hand and they'd realize that working for the Lord and whatever they're doing is such a blessing. Chuck Swindoll tells of a story when he spoke at a, a family camp uh, for an entire week, emphasizing this important point uh, of God's hand in every work of life. That, that we are in God's hand. And because we are in God's hand, that we do everything within our power to work for God, no matter what our calling in life is. He encouraged every Christian to realize that his or her vocation was ordained by God for God's glory. And that one day, what we do for God has an eternal blessing. At the end of the week, a, a man came up to the front of the of the chapel to share, and the, the camp director asked him, um, you know, what meant most to him? And, and, uh, <coughs> and, and uh, the camp director says, so what do you do for a living? And the guy said, he answered, my work? You're asking me about my work? And the camp director said, yes. And he says, I'm an ordained plumber. And you know from past experiences that I, I believe every plumber is ordained as a blessing by God for the rest of us. Uh, I can't stand plumbing, so I am blessed by other plumbers. But that's it. We are all blessed by God when we dwell with God and we view our life in the view of God's eternal glory, his character. 
If God is your dwelling place, then his hand of blessing is in your life. Then whatever you do is for his glory. Even the mundane little tasks take on grand significance. As we conclude this this beautiful psalm that really magnifies the greatness of this eternal gift which God has given us through Jesus Christ our Lord when he saved us from our sin and he adopted us into his family and he's waiting to share with us this eternal nature for the rest of eternity to live with him. We see just three practical things I want to point out. Number one is this, that we need to live in the light of eternity. We need to stop thinking about just today as as God reminded us in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus said that we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. What things? He said, well, don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Remember in Matthew 6, in the very first part of that passage, he's He's sharing that don't be anxious in in what you will eat and what you will drink and all of these things because God. And remember that God is eternal. We need to live in the light of eternity. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. What's interesting is the Hebrew verb in verse 12. In verse 12, when it says, may present, um, this Hebrew verb verb of presenting uh, it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 4 when we, we see the, the offering be, being presented uh, to Cain and Abel. And, and we, of course, we know that Cain, he, he, he amassed all of this, this wealth of grain and he amassed and he, he offered this amazing offering to God. And, of course, it wasn't the offering that God desired. And, of course, <coughs> Cain's offering <coughs> didn't burn. Abel offered the land, the precious land. What do you present before God? What will you offer to God? Are you thinking about what you have right now? Are you thinking about this finite, this world that's going to pass away? Or are you thinking about your life one day when you stand before God? What will you offer God when he calls for an account of your life? Remember, It was the fellow with only one talent that buried it and was berated by his master. He was was whipped and he was thrown thrown aside and that talent was given to another faithful servant. Not having greatest abilities in life is no excuse to use, to not use what God has given you. Think about what are you going to present to God? The second thing we can learn, not only live in light of eternity, but is to labor for that which lasts. Labor for that which lasts. Not the passing circumstances. Don't waste your life working so hard for the here and now that you miss this amazing relationship that you will have for eternity with God. Labor for that relationship with God. May that be the priority in your life. How do we maintain unity in the church? By laboring for that which lasts. How do, how do we, when all seems lost and we are going to sink, 
How do we deal with that? We labor for eternity. We turn and we focus on who God is. 1 John 2.17 says the world is passing away and also it's lust and the one who does the will of God will abide forever. The things of this world are not going to last. The, the, the lust of the, the flesh, the pride of life, none of these things are going to last. But those who do the will of the Lord, the will of God, obeying God, his righteousness lasts forever. The only thing God is going to reclaim off of this planet are God's people. Think about it. The only thing that God will reclaim from this world is his people. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul reminds us of this very thought of the fact that we need to focus on that which lasts. Labor for that which lasts. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That work of the Lord could be your schoolwork. It could be your work at home. It could be parenting. It could be being a husband. It can be whatever it is, but do it unto the Lord. When we work for the Lord, it brings on a whole new meaning. It brings on an eternal perspective. The work of the Lord involves God, obeying God's word and loving his people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength so you can love others. Put your efforts in the things that won't disappoint. The third lesson we see here is that this, avoid the waste that comes from sinful living. Don't be tripped up by believing that the things of this world, the sinful thing, are going to bring comfort and joy. This is also the theme we see in Psalm 81. But it bears repeating that the idea here that Israel was consumed by God's anger, verses 7 through 10, because of their disobedience. Sinful, self-willed living always results in waste. When we are tempered, when the heat, when the circumstances of our life turns up the heat, the dross will be revealed, the waste are you going to have large amounts of pure gold in your life? Those things that you've done for God? Or will the wood, hay, and stubble be, be burnt off? And what will be revealed? Will there be lots of waste, ashes? Or will there be lots of pure gold? That righteousness of God. While those who are in Christ need not to fear God's condemnation, Right? Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do need to understand and fear the Lord and avoid sin. The law of sowing and reaping that's found in Galatians chapter 6 applies to those of us who are even under God's grace. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, right? If you sow of the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh. But if you sow of the Spirit, you'll reap of the, of the Spirit. Whatever you sow, whatever you plant in the ground will grow up. Don't be surprised when weeds grow in your life. If you're planting sinful things in your life, sinful things will crop up. Things that don't taste good. Things that hurt. And they will crowd out the blessings that God wants to give us as a result of obeying him by living by the Spirit. Obedience to the Lord always results 
in God's blessing. Israel's experience in the wilderness was written for our instruction, for our benefit, so that we don't repeat their mistakes. So as we look at this psalm, where's your perspective about life? You know, as we look at it, I'm reminded of our study in 1 Peter, and many times we think about the fact that, man, this, this quarantine, uh, everything that's going on is going to take forever, and I just can't wait for it to get over. But are you wasting this opportunity that God has given you to glorify him? Because this quarantine and the things that we're experiencing does not change our relationship with God. It doesn't change who God is, and it doesn't change the fact that what God has purchased for us when he died on the cross for our sin, it doesn't change that. It's still being held in heaven for us for the day when he brings us home. Are you focused on Christ's return? Are you focused on that eternal perspective? Or are you focused on your circumstances? Paul said it this way. He says, the one thing I do, I forget everything that's behind, but the one thing I do is I press on for the prize of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is that your prize? To know Christ and to know him crucified. What perspective are you living? As we close, I want to read you a prayer from an amazing preacher, a preacher that I love to read and learn from, George Whitfield, from one of his journals. This is a prayer, and, and uh, I'm not very gifted at reading, even though I like to read. Um, with, so uh, if I repeat myself, just bear with me. But I want to read you this prayer. Oh, when will I be free from individual sin? Lord, deliver me from this body of death. Dwell with me as I please you, Lord. You may just Justly take everything from me, for I have abused your loving kindness. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What am I that I should be fed daily with heavenly manna? Lord, you fill my soul. Let me praise you with joyful lips. I adore your infinite goodness that reaches down to me. Do not leave me to myself, but purge me from your, for your mercy's sake that I may bring forth more fruit. Correct me when I go astray and lead me in your perfect righteous way. Dearest Lord, for your mercy's sake, never let me distrust you again. Oh, may me of little faith. Lord, your judgments are like the great deep. Your footsteps are not known. Just and holy are you, O King of saints. In season of night, let me arise and give you thanks. Let my speech be of your loving kindness and tender mercies all day long. May it be my sleep, my food, and my drink to do the will of you, my heavenly Father. You who holds the wind in your fists and the waters in the palm of your hands, accept your thanks for your past mercy. Set apart our travels, and if it is best, carry us with speed to where we should go. Send me whenever and wherever it seems good to your divine majesty, for your divine majesty. 
rise my heart and make your power known in the hearts of your people. Add daily to your church those who will be saved. They are noted in your book. Let them also be written on my heart. And now let your servant depart in peace. For your eyes have seen and, your, and our hearts have felt your salvation. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This audio is made with Audio Toolkit for Windows Store, downloaded for free now.